Hi, I'm Anjali. And I'm Martha. And welcome to Public Health on Duty, where we talk to some of the most inspiring young minds in the Philippine public health system. Join us as we talk to our guests about their stories, learn about their career journey, and chat about their wins and everyday challenges. So our guest for today is a public health professional with almost a decade of experience on public health policy development in the Department of Health. Welcome to PhD, Rodley. Hello, good afternoon to all our listeners. Yes, hello, good afternoon po. Napaka- <laughs> <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and uh, good morning to everyone listening. <laughs> Sorry, we just have to ask, what are your preferred pronouns? Uh, my pronouns are he or him. Right, right. And can you tell us briefly about yourself, Rodley? Okay. Um, again, I'm Rodley, uh, Rodley Carza. I'm a nurse by profession and I have, um, uh, I hold a bachelor's degree in nursing from the Forrester University, uh, Manila. Uh, I also hold a bachelor's degree in public health from the University of the Philippines, Manila, where I also <laughs> am taking my master's in health policy studies. Um, currently, I... Um, perform the role of the officer in charge chief of the policy planning standards and research division of the health promotion bureau of the department of health <laughs> that's a mouthful sorry okay. so rodley you mentioned that you were a nurse by profession so um after nursing school um you went to the duh already right so can you tell us about that experience Okay, sure. Um, so in my undergrad, uh, I really had an interest in nursing research. So I sort of uh, really appreciated the methods of how we do research in nursing. And uh, one of my professors referred me to a fellowship program uh, that the government is doing. At that time, it's with the Department of Science and Technology, but I didn't know that it's a partnership between DOST and Department of Health. Right. So uh, when I applied for the fellowship, we were deployed in the Department of Health. And that's the uh, first time or that's, the, that's my first exposure to public health, uh, at least in practice, uh, not um, in the academic sense. Right. So I, I was part of the pioneer batch of the research fellows in the Department of Health. At that time, I'm doing um, research in infectious diseases, uh, young uh, nurse. Uh, but working on research of on infectious diseases, malaria specifically. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a totally new and different world uh, than my training in nursing. And then I was exposed to health policy, legislation, um, public health research uh, specifically. And yon, from, from there on, I uh, said, a decade worth of experience <laughs> in public health. But that's interesting. He, when you were taking your undergraduate in nursing, you didn't intend to practice talaga nursing. You really wanted in, to go into research? Um, I intended to do practice as a nursing practice in the clinics uh, because uh, among the fields of nursing, actually community health nursing is the so it's actually surprising that I'm in public health now. Uh, but at that time, uh, it was a time where nurses are highly in demand abroad. But it's clear to me that um, I want to work in the Philippines and I want to um, sort of make an impact in my own country first before going out. Uh, but 
definitely that's the more lucrative path to take. Uh, so uh, the opportunity presented itself uh, with the help of our advisors and mentors in research. Okay, so yeah, let's try it. Because uh, the global market, the labor market, uh, labor market at the time is not that good. I mean, oppor- uh, job opportunities are also scarce. I see. Mm. So you're presented this opportunity, so I had to take it on. And it's my, it's also my interest research, right? Um, so and then from from there on, I, I I guess you can say that I fell in love in public health. Uh, fell in love to public health. So. Yeah, it started my career in public health, that fellowship program, uh, eventually. And ito, nandito na ako sa health promo, doing uh, policy work. Right, right. Um, well, as you mentioned, no, um, it's basically your love of research that led you to the Department of Health. But you also mentioned that your first stint was on infectious disease research. Kasi syempre iba yung... Research on nursing, the batapos. You also intended initially to do clinical work from your work there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I entered DOH as a research fellow. Na sobrang idealistic ko, and my uh, framework of change is very clear. Um, I'll do outstanding research. That research will be the basis of a policy or a program. And it will improve the health of the <laughs> Filipino people. That's how I viewed um, my work in research. And uh, that's evident in the research proposals that I in- intended to do while I'm doing the research fellowship. Because it's a bit experimental and crit- uh, clinical in the as- uh, mm-hmm. aspect. No? Pero that's where I also learned uh, with the help of our mentors in the DOH that um, nursing research is also... <laughs> a different field than compared to public health research. So it requires a different set of design. Parang right. hindi siya yung typical na uh, research na ina-apply mo sa clinics or sa uh, clinical trials, for mm-hmm. example. So doon na-open yung mind ko na, ah, okay, hindi lang pala confined sa clinical aspect yung pagkakandak ng research. So meron pala tayong tinatawag na health policy and systems research or right. implementations research na Okay, malawak din pala yung field ng research and ito yung ginagawa to influence policy and decision making. Not just the typical clinical research that we're used to uh, when you're taking your undergrad in allied health professions. Since you're already on the topic of research feeding into policy, might you be able to take us through the policy process in the Department of Health. Sure. Um, the, the two processes are um, interlinked. No? So research actually feeds into the overall policy development process uh, in public health. So um, research specifically could be a source of um, uh, the first step of policy making, which is problem identification and prioritization. Mm-hmm. So you can actually do research to just to identify what are the pressing concerns or issues that decision makers need to act on. Um, so that's one. Can, that, that can be based on research. But also, um, that process can be based on more um, practical um, considerations, such as operational concerns or implementation issues. Right. That um, It might not be as systematic as research, but because 
you experience these operational issues or concerns, uh, you know that you need to solve them. Right. So that can be part of the problem identification phase. Um, in policy, there can be um, legal mandates as well that you need to perform. So whether um, uh, if it's not uh, a clear problem or it's a uh, it's not an operational issue, but there's a law or a directive, legal directive that's mm-hmm. mandating you to do this, then you have to do it because you're legally bound to, right? right. So those are the few examples of how you can um, identify which. Uh, problems to prioritize in policy development. And once uh, those priorities or an agenda, as we call them, are clear to you, that's where you move on to the next step, which is uh, formulating the actual policy. So identifying concrete steps of how you will achieve a particular set of goals. So if it's a problem, then what's your solution? Right. So ito yung phase na you identify policy options and alternatives Weighing them in so you know what's the best alternative to or policy option to recommend for the next step, which is uh, policy adoption. So in the DOH, um, this is the step where we um, present this proposed policy to the Execom, uh, Executive Committee of the Department of Health, essentially the USEX and ASICs of the leaders of the 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 big bosses. The big bosses. And um, it's expected that when you presented them that you've done your completed staff work. So mm-hmm. in policy, that means you've done your um, research on the policy options and alternatives. You've weighed in the pros and cons. Um, you've done stakeholder consultation right. uh, or at least created a technical working group who, who will draft the po- said policies. Um, and then uh, if the Execom uh, deemed the proposal in order, for example, as in, okay, clear yung how it answers the policy issues, then that's the time that they typically approve the policy proposal. Um, that's not the most challenging part of policy development because the challenge really is implementing it, enforcing yeah. it. And <laughs> right. that's a totally different story, um, especially in our health system wherein it's devolved. So a lot of our policies are actually not implemented by the DOH. And I think that's not clear with the audience na, uh, oh, okay, may health issue, DOH, so may kasalanan. Hindi uh, <laughs> po kami yung fully accountable lang because as we implement our policies, there are a lot of entities involved. And uh, typically, that would be your local government units because right. uh, our local uh, government units as mandated by the LGU code uh, should be responsible in the health provision of basic health services in the uh, locality or in your area. So that's the uh, complexity of policy implementation. So right. there are a lot of entities and stakeholders that you need to um, ensure that they will also do their part in implementing it. So that's uh, national government agencies, if it's a joint program, uh, or local government units, if it deals in uh, deals with uh, provision of health services. And of course, as you implement it uh, along the way, uh, you have to monitor if your policy is doing its uh, supposed objective or parang right. it's achieving its supposed um, goal. Uh, so that's uh, where we, when we do um, program implementation review. So uh, every year, uh, typically programs meet, uh, meet all coordinators uh, nationwide and ask, oh, what are the problems in terms of this uh, policy, implementation of this policy? So 
we get insights on how um, they implement it in the region or how successful or challenging it is in their locality uh, based on then how different actors um, sort of implement the program, right? And um, policy evaluation can also be in a form of um, special studies. So researchers here has a, have a role in shaping uh, the direction of the program. Uh, so linking it back to the first step of uh, policy development. So um, it's cyclical, but I, I, I don't want to... Uh, I, I just want to tell you that it's not necessarily linear. I mean, it's not sequential. Sequential, yeah. Yeah, that's right. a term. It's not sequential. So it can, be, it can jump from one point to um, another. But essentially, that's how the cycle goes. Uh, you develop, you identify a problem and uh, prioritize, and that will become your agenda. Uh, you formulate the policy itself and have it adopted by the decision makers, such as our DOH Execom. Uh, and then implement it and evaluate it if it's achieving its goal. And then if it's not, then you're back at the uh, first step. <laughs> na, okay, what's the problem? How right. do we solve it? Woo. It's a long story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kaya mo pala isang dekada ka na sa DOH. That seemed like such a long process to go through. Napagod ka ba? <laughs> So since season one is all about the COVID-19 pandemic and when the pandemic was declared, there were policy problems left and right, no? So what were the policies you spearheaded during the height of the pandemic? Uh, well, when the pandemic started in, uh, well, the first case was announced in December, right? Right. I was still uh, performing the role of the executive assistant to the secretary. So our focus mainly is to ensure that um, that the different operations are, you know, sustained and uh, strategic directions are implemented. And when I think the height of the pandemic really um, started in March when the lockdown was um, announced. Uh, so uh, during that time, that that was also the time where I was appointed, when I was appointed uh, OIC of the Health Promotion Bureau's um, Policy and Technology Section. Uh, and we were in charge in developing policies on COVID, particularly in prevention. So I right. uh, was part of the team who, our team developed the minimum public health standards policy. Right. And eventually it's various iterations uh, in different industries, such as the film industry, sports industry, um, gaming industry. Uh, so we're heavily involved in, uh, in setting the direction on uh, COVID prevention. Uh, because we started the minimum public health standards right. policy. Uh, we also work on active transport, surprisingly, because uh, there, was, there were a lot of uh, mobility issues at that time. So we found right. a policy window for active transport or biking uh, for uh, layman's uh, appreciation. So uh, I, the creation of bicycle lanes, uh, we were... Uh, the team behind that, uh, of course, with the support of uh, different agencies and um, civil society organizations. And uh, uh, simultaneously, we're working on UHC policies. Uh, if you remember, on uh, the UHC Act, uh, there is a particular section on um, health promotion. And that uh, mandated the issuance of a lot of foundational policies on health promotion, such as the Health Promotion Framework Strategy, 
uh, participatory action research and health impact assessment. So we're doing quite a lot right. <laughs> kahit pandemic. So COVID and UHC, um, the work must go on kahit pandemia. So it's a, it's a challenging uh, time, but uh, we managed to pull through. Yeah, I guess just for the sake of our listeners, what is health promotion exactly? Like I came from uh, technically a public health uh, bachelor's degree, but I don't ever remember actually studying health promotion the way the Department of Health does it. So I think a lot of people will benefit if Rodley can explain to us real quick, what is health promotion? Okay, that's a good question. Um Health promotion is essentially the process of enabling people to have control over their health. So um, it's different from other fields of uh, public health wherein you're confined with um, the uh, different building blocks of the health system. But in health promotion, you try to influence um, uh, something beyond that, uh, which is the, the different social determinants of health. So I think that's what, what's unique with health promotion. We're not confined in influencing the health system, but also right. influencing other sectors, trans- transportation sector, economic sector, um, education, um, etc. So uh, it's a bit broad, but essentially the goal is people will be able to control or be, will be empowered to control their health. I think yung um, misnomer or uh, misconception in health promotion, that health promotion is just educating someone. It's just um, letting them know and then they will do the desired behavior that you want. But in health promotion, we go beyond that. We try to influence the environment so they will be able to actually do what you ask them to do. So, um, gusto mo siya mag-jogging, pero wala naman siyang parks na pag-jogging. Gusto mo siyang mag-exercise, wala naman siyang open spaces na uh, pwede siya mag-exercise. Then, he will not uh, be able to do the desired behavior that you want them to do. So that's the um, uh, scope or the I know, a gamut of uh, health promotion in public health. Right. Oh, practical mag jogging sa highway. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> practical mag bike sa highway kung wala protected bike lane. So yeah, that's health promotion. And I guess aside from structural changes, it also entails, I mean, your work entails also a lot of negotiation with the other sectors. Um, Surprisingly, the health sector, um, what I'm realizing now has a unique position to actually shape how other sectors, you know, are implementing their policies, are, you know, instituting changes so that it's, Promotive of the health of the people at the end of the day. Correct. And um, I think it's, uh, some people would uh, describe it as health versus economy because some, at times, yun yung kailangan mo negotiate the health of the people ba or uh, the economic um, environment uh, because it will dictate uh, the situation. But actually, um, health is. Economy is health and health is economy, right? right? So mm-hmm. if you're poor, how can you be healthy? And if you're, uh, vice versa, if you're healthy, how can you be productive economically? Right. So I think um, that's the, that's one of the negotiation that you'll have to, um, that you will encounter in your public health practice one way or another. Na, uh, there are decisions that sometimes, uh, mukha siyang 
sacrificing one over the other, but actually you have to uh, sort of ensure this, the ensure both, right? Since, as you mentioned, practically no one knew about the novel coronavirus during that time. And even us inside the DOH, nakatingin tayo to our infectious disease experts, no? Mm-hmm. Who are, unfortunately, outside of the agency. And so, um, can you share with us, Rodley, so how did the DOH no, bring those experts to the table? That's, that's a good question because um, an observation that they're actually outside of the DOH. Mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, also, um, it has a certain um, beauty in it that um, they are not, um, they, have, they bring in different perspectives uh, in the discussion and decision making. And right. at the end of the day, they, they must agree on something that they will recommend. So uh, that balances the the power dynamics between the government and um, non-government who are actually experts. Um, so, uh, and our primary platform to ensure um, participation of these stakeholders or these experts is uh, through technical working groups. So we do have a lot of uh, technical working groups in different fields of uh, public health, epidemiology, right. helping us in gathering the evidence and um um, setting the direction on how the COVID response will be. So I think aside from um, literature um, and global recommendations from the WHO and other um, uh, known authorities in health, such as the CDC, uh, US CDC, uh, we relied heavily on expert opinions uh, right. and experience of these experts in the clinical setting. So right. uh, that help us that help us a lot in decision making and, and of course. Uh, at the time, there are emerging evidence already. So publications or journals that are uh, awaiting peer review, but that they're already accessible. So you can um, see the results already and so somehow form your policy on, on based on data, on available data. Because right. at the time, uh, there's no um, established data yet in COVID-19 because it's a novel, it's a novel thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Super interesting, no? Because no? Roddy mentioned that our experts are actually um, practicing clinically. So they're not only infectious disease experts, they're actually in the hospitals dealing with COVID-19 patients. So um, ang ganda lang na um, it kind of like grounded our health policies, the Because as Rodley explained earlier, ba? it has to start with a problem. And these people actually see the problem on the ground. I'm curious though, like, was that always the norm that DOH brings in uh, technical experts from outside the department to help like navigate diseases or inform policies maybe? That is. Um, and the policy process in the Department of Health is really participatory of um, concerned stakeholders. So, um, it's not new that we have um, clinical experts or infectious disease experts um, uh, providing opinions or recommendations in our policies, but also in different fields, such as in NCDs uh, or in uh, governance, wherein we uh, create, usually we create technical working groups. Uh, if they're, they're not part of technical working groups, they take part in the public consultation of the policy. 
uh, wherein they can raise uh, potential operational concerns because they are underground. They know what's happening, really happening on the ground. So uh, I think that brings back the, uh, that makes the process uh, holistic um, and not really a, um, a process that is dictated by an ivory tower. Mm-hmm. Na, uh, hindi nabulag sa what's happening on the ground. So, right. uh, civil society organizations and different right. um, stakeholders or such as NGAs or LGUs uh, really bring in the experience, uh, the perspective from implementers and making sure that the policy is, um, you know, something that we can implement and mm-hmm. uh, realistic. No? Hindi naman suntok sa buwan na may policy ka nga, but no one uh, else can actually implement it. Cool. Pero question lang, when you say public consultation, you mean public consultation? Pre-pandemic, uh, public consultations are really public consultations. Like we hold um, events uh, to just go through the policy, proposed policy line by line. And everyone is pretty much welcome to attend, especially if you're an identified um, stakeholder. stakeholder. Yeah. So if you're a patient group, for example, of particular po- uh uh, program, then you're invited. But mm-hmm. if you're um, just interested, a practitioner that's interested, you can probably participate. Um, that's pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, something that changed during the uh, pandemic uh, because, of course, we cannot hold the mass gathering events. Okay. Um, so uh, the form of public consultation has to change. And um, that happened na virtual. Na siya. So you see in, in the uh, Facebook or in social media channels of the Department of Health, you see um, different bureaus of the department holding virtual public consultations mm-hmm. wherein people, as in people, the general public can just join the Zoom meeting and uh, participate in the discussion on the right. public. I think we we did that with a lot of our policies mm-hmm. in health promotion and uh, that changed the, that sort of democratized right. the process of public consultation because mm-hmm. you're now not confined with um, the geographic location. So whether I'm in Basilan or in Batanes, I can join the public consultation on healthy communities because I don't have to go to Manila. Rodi, you've been talking a lot about um, the involvement of different sectors, no? And which, which, which makes policy development very holistic because um, Essentially, everyone can participate in the policy process. But at the end of the day, we have to measure the successes of these policies. So how do you measure or what for you is a good policy? How do you measure that? And what are some of the components of or characteristics of a good policy? Okay, I, I don't want to be technical on this, but uh, essentially for me, if the policy uh, uh, is able to achieve its supposed goal or objective, then it's a good policy. Uh, at the end of the day, you want the policy implemented and you want the policy to be able to achieve what it um, aimed to do, right? Yeah. So what it aimed to address. So why do you think nursing graduates or allied professionals should join public health? Uh, I think the opportunity to impact lives at the scale that is not available in clinical setting is something that undergraduates, not just in the nursing profession, but 
across allied health professions should consider. The policy space in the Philippines is a bit skewed to medical professions. And I think this signals that uh, in, in the past few years, it already signaled that the DOH is open to um, bringing in other professions, in term, especially in the leadership space, at the leadership uh, level. So nurses, medtech, bio, and even other um, social sciences that are not uh, essentially allied health can actually enter DOH and um, uh, influence how the health systems work. No. So, um, but yeah, for allied health professions, we're conventionally confined in a, in a space wherein our work is true or is uh, within the four corners of the health facilities. And I just want uh, our listeners to know, especially those who are um, undergraduate in uh, nursing or other uh, allied health professions, that your career opportunities are beyond that. Uh, parang you can influence health of your clients um, beyond the four corners of your health facilities. I'm not saying that um, the clinical aspect of health is not important. It is. Because whatever we do in public health, if the services are not available in the clinics, right. um, it's also um, not uh, ideal. But um, just want to uh, let our listeners know that uh, there is career in public health and um, whether you're nursing or a medi- uh, medical doctor or uh, med tech, you're welcome in the department. There's a place for you in the Department of Health or in the uh, public health sphere to influence how the health system works. So uh, I think the health system now needs a lot of managers and implementers. Right. And maybe that's the value that you will add in the uh, public health sphere. Uh, space in the field of public health. So yeah, consider a career in public health and it will really give you a platform to influence a lot of lives. Um, hindi lang immediate. I mean, hindi mo makikita gumaling agad si Ange from, his, uh, from her uh, condition. Mo, see, Are you sick? <laughs> because it's a work of public health. She's not sick because of public health right. measures. Right. Oh yes. Uh, hindi mo makikita, Thank you, health promotion. Hindi mo makikita agad naggagaling siya or uh, um, yung direct benefit of health services that you provide. But I assure you that um, your impact will be uh, felt uh, in the long run. So uh, perhaps the future generation of Filipinos will be thankful that um, Ange did open space, that Marita did um, gender health. And di man nila makita ngayon yun, uh, but perhaps the future generations, hindi nila alam na sila, si Ange at si Martha nagabawa nun, but they felt that um, change in the health system. All right. Thank you so much, Rodley. Sobrang dami naming natutunan. We're really glad na you joined us here at Public Health on Duty. Um, your story has been very inspiring. Yes, but now it's JQW Book Club time. So this episode we have for you which country has the world's best healthcare by Dr. Ezekiel J. Emanuel? So that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Is it Denmark? Is it Australia? Maybe Canada? But Dr. Emanuel went ahead and did for us the hard work of comparing several countries' healthcare systems in areas such as the history of the health system, the extent of coverage, financing, 
service delivery, human resources, and price regulation. If that book was the million-dollar question, let's kick it up a notch and answer a trillion-dollar question. We also invite you to read The Trillion-Dollar Revolution, How the Affordable Care Act Transformed Politics, Law, and Healthcare in America. Also by Ezekiel J. Emanuel with Abby R. Gluck. It tackles the big questions about Obamacare, which many would say is the biggest U.S. healthcare system overhaul since Medicare and Medicaid. In an imperfect healthcare system, what did we achieve? What didn't work? Public health experts, lawyers, economists, academics, and politicians weigh in on the policy goals, implementation, legal constraints, impacts, and lessons from this landmark law in this book. So make sure to check it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Health on Duty. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Public Health on Duty is a joint production between Epimetrics Inc. and Big Baby Studios. Dr. John Q. Wong is our executive producer. Editing and hosting by Anjali Magdaraog and Martha De La Paz. Our producers are Abigail Tan and Antoinette Mendoza. Sound engineering and original theme music by PV Nicholas. You can find out more about Epimetrics at www.epimetrics.com.ph or at EpimetricsPH on Facebook and Instagram. This has been Martha. You can find me on Instagram at underscore call me Martha. And I'm Anjali. I am not on social media, but you can catch Martha and me on the next episode of Public Health on Duty.